Welcome to the REI Foundation Podcast, where we cover all the steps and strategies to make your real estate dreams a reality. Now your hosts, Jason and Peely. Well, hello again, and welcome to another edition of the Real Estate Investing Foundation Podcast. It is multifamily Monday, but you are in for a super treat today, an absolute delight because we welcome back Nathan Tabor. Nathan, welcome. How are you? Good, Jason. Thanks for having me uh, back on your show again. It's uh, quite a pleasure, and I'm very humbled that you'd let me come back on your show again. Oh, well, we're super excited. So, if you missed it, episode 142, Nathan dove into his entire life story, all the ins and outs, how he grew his real estate empire over the last 15 to 20 years, and just a, a little bit more about his apartment flipping experience. 26 properties flipped in nine years, grossed over 52 million in sales, raised over 1 million from investors, and has consulted on deals worth over $200 million. So a lot has happened, and we're super excited. And today being Multifamily Monday, we're going to transition and talk more about uh, multifamily and how to really just underwrite those deals that maybe have a little bit more hair on it. But before we do, Nathan, it's been about 11 months since we've spoke. What have you been up to? Oh man, it's been uh, an incredible last 11 months. I think I, last time I was on, I just had neck surgery. So I've been um, dealing with that, been released from the doctor, which is good. Still got you know, some muscle issues here and there. Um, you know, families doing really well. And then from a, you know, business perspective, have really, you know, dug into, you know, helping others understand, you know, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? What's your niche? Um, been doing a lot of podcasts and a lot of, you know, conventions and conferences. Um, and then still, you know, uh, you know, working on that work-life balance because it doesn't matter how much money you have or how many properties you have if you're not balanced or you're not, you know, being able to enjoy the fruits of your labor, why labor? I love that. We spoke about that a lot on the last episode, which is just hugely important for everyone out there. Um, I heard something the other day. It said, you know, you got to think about your happiness, right? You could have a million dollars and two kids or a kid with leukemia or have no money and, and perfectly happy because your kids are just happy as can be. So it's a whole different perspective that money and working yep. hard is not the only angle here. You got to have that balance to your life. So, yep. you know, in, in that it, with anything, I've really come down to, it's a choice, right? Mm -hmm. It's a choice. Do you want to do this or do you not? You know, like, you know, we were talking family before we started out, you have a choice to spend time with your wife and your kids or you have a choice not to. Nobody's going to make you except yourself. So, you know, I always encourage people, if you want something different, if you're trying to change, then, you know, like the Nike ad, just do it. Yeah. I love that. Right. And that's yep. it. So that's it. always say that they can't, but meaning they can is usually just a stop that maybe they haven't thought, well, how it, do I? It means they won't. Yeah. When they say they can't, it means they won't. That's that. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Good. Well, let's dive in here. Cause yes, Super excited for Mondays. Mondays, all about multifamily. You have a ton of experience. And we were talking offline about just a lot of opportunities out there uh, are overheated. There's a lot of things that are on the market that, you know, maybe the, the meat have already been taken off the bone. Um, seller expectations are, are just way out of the box and they're not making sense. But there's still plenty of opportunity out there. However, sometimes that opportunity comes in the form of distress. And using that our distress to our advantage to be able to find where the value I can still be 
but not pay over market for it and not really just be into it for too much. So we want to dive into just how you look at a deal that may have a lot of hair on it. What are the key components you're looking for? What is primarily your route to do this analysis just to get yourself to the finish line? And what do you stay away from? Yeah, so, you know, really the number one question here that people always want to know is, well, you know, how do I find these deals? How do I even get to them? Because normally by the time things get to LoopNet or CoStar or MLS, you know, someone's added that value to it, right? Correct. So in finding these and people always, you know, I get people come in and they say, oh, that's great advice, but that's really simplistic. But it is, is relationships. Finding the people who know about these deals that are really distressed. Most of the properties I buy have been on the you know, market maybe three, four, five years ago, but they've become such a problem that, People don't even feel like, you know, who would want this? Or people are, you know, ready to give up. So, you know, finding those relationships and having that ability to close. But the one thing I really try to stay away from that can be, you know, quite expensive or headaches is environmental issues. Uh, asbestos, um, if there's been uh, a cleaning facility, like a cleaner world or something 30 years ago across from the property, you know, anything like that that can cause a environmental concern, uh, which I, I always encourage people to do a phase one. Perfect. I was uh, going to ask, so how do I get ahead of it so I know exactly if I do have an environmental issue? Yeah, phase one is basically a desktop where they run, I don't know how, you know, what all they're looking at, what records, but to see has there ever been a, a dump nearby? Has there been a, a gas station that had leaky tanks that got cited by the EPA? Or something that could throw a red flag up and say, hey, you need to look into this more. Um, because those environmental issues can be very expensive to correct. Is there ever a point it would make sense to, to look at opportunities that have environmental issues because a lot of people will shy away from? I mean, there's a point, if you can buy it right, um, I mean, I've bought properties that have had environmental issues, but I you know, had to extend the due diligence time period. I had to get you know, estimates in, uh, contractors in, uh, Diener, the Department of Environmental Resources in, and, and made sure that I knew, hey, here's this issue. What is it going to take to fix it? How much is it going to cost? How long is it going to take uh, to do it? And then plan accordingly. Love it. So, um, so yes, you can, but that's where you really need to get somebody in that, that understands that process to make sure you don't get caught. So what are some things you're looking for from a distress side that you say, okay, this is a home run. I'm going to go after it. No, anything that is a cosmetic issue, windows, you know, the roof looks like a patch quilt that your grandma used to make. It's seven different colors. Um, parking lots or alligatoring where they've cracked and they, maybe they've even started to break up. Um, you know, just from a visual standpoint outside, the place almost looks like it needs to be pushed over. You know, there's major weeds, three foot weeds growing in front of windows, no landscaping, handrails broken or down, um, you know, things like that that you see is a sign of most likely, and I would say probably 100% of the time that the, the apartment complex is out of money. So they're not maintaining the property. 
Um, that's a good, if you're, you're driving, if you're trying to find something, you know, get in the car and drive around and go look for those complexes. That's what I do. So you're actually driving around. That's your way of finding sellers is going around looking for these. Just like if you were to drive for dollars for single family houses, you're doing the same thing for doing the same thing. You know, go find that. What I, what I really look for is a class C area. So the houses are 50, 60, 70 years old, but they're well-maintained. They're 80 to $150,000. They're, they're cute little places. Um, and sometime, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, a, an apartment complex was built on the edge of that residential. And then the residential grew and consumed that complex. So there's houses in front and side and behind because the, the city, the municipality area, the area grew. So now all of a sudden you have this class C minus, maybe class D because of deferred maintenance and occupancy issues right in the middle of a, a nice, steady area. Do you have any suggestions? I'm in New Jersey, right? So the opportunities are, are a bit difficult based on everything, right? So legislation, so tax perspective, yeah. price per unit. So if I'm here and I'm saying, you know, that's a great idea, but I, I really don't feel like I can do that here. I'd love to do that out of state. Do you have any ideas for how someone can do this if they're doing this from out of state? Yeah. So, you know, it, it's really simplistic in the sense, which I think is why a lot of people overlook it. Write down that scenario. I'm looking for 40 unit complexes or I'm, I've got a $2 million budget or a million dollar, you know, whatever your facts are there. I'm looking for it in a class C area and describe out that area. Um, write down as much as you can, you know, here's my ability to close even. Um, put all that together in an email and start contacting brokers in that area. What a lot of people do, and this is where, why they never find the properties, they call a broker or they email a broker, and what do they say to them? Hey, let me know when you find a good deal. And that's all they say. Yep. Well, you're got, you've got three or four people, classes of, of investors already in front of you, people who have defined their niche and shown that they have the ability to close. So who is a broker? If a broker finds that pocket listing or that great deal, who are they contacting first? Person, they're short. Close, they're, person who knows exactly what they want, that fits in their criteria and people they have relationships with right there. Yeah, they're short list. Yep. So if you want to get on that short list, write down, hey, this is what I'm looking for. This is the area I'm looking to purchase it. This is exactly the type. And, you know, if you can, Find out how to get a commitment letter from your bank or get your investor, put a bank statement together, do that upfront work that shows that broker that you're not just kicking tires. Because if you're serious about doing this, then be serious about putting the upfront effort into it to get it done. This is not something that you can just say, hey, I want to, you know, find some distressed properties and contact 10 brokers. And then you ever hear back and you say, well, what's wrong with the system? I'm going to say this in the nicest way I can. That what's wrong with the system is you. Love it. And I don't, you know, I, I don't mean that in a rude way. I don't mean that in a, a in a sarcastic way. And I mean that in a very serious way. If you're going to be serious about multifamily, then get serious about your packet that you're sending to brokers or to investors to find these properties and take them down. That you know defining out your business plan, defining out your investor packet, and then really knowing your niche.
uh, what are you, are you looking for a, you know, four unit complex, a 10 unit, a 40 unit, a 60 unit? And what that really comes down to is how much money can you raise or how much, you know, uh, credit can you get from a lender or a bank or hard money? You need to not kind of know, well, you do need to know all of that at some point. So when you're talking to a broker, they can help you identify properties that match up to your criteria. I love that. I love that. And so is there any confidence tricks if I've never done a deal before and I want to do this, I want to talk with brokers. I've done my research. I've done my homework. Now I, I'm, I'm ready to make that call, but I, I don't know how to, how to not sound like a newbie to the broker. Yeah. My advice on that is um, I'll put it this way. Have you ever asked someone a question, it, whether you're face to face or on the phone and you immediately know by either the look on their face or the tone of their voice that they have no idea what they're talking about, except they're, they're really laying it on thick. Have you ever, have you seen that before? I have. Yep. What does that make you think about that person? Honestly, that they're trying hard, but they really don't know what the heck they're doing. Yeah. So I'm not going to waste time with them. Yep. Um, in my opinion, I think the best approach is when you're saying to a broker, Hey, I've not done a deal before, but I know what I'm looking for. I know, you know, what my niche is. I know, you know, about a cap rate. I know, you know, here I've got these investors, I've got this lined up, but I'm really just trying to understand your market and I'm trying to understand how to find this type of property. Can you help me? I love that. So you dive right in and you say, Hey guys, listen, I'm not going to be around the bush. I haven't done a deal before, but I'm doing the work to be able to do a deal. And for yep. that, that's when I bring to you. I'm not going to lie and say that I, I you know, I'm experienced. I, there's going to be things I don't know, but I'm going to lean on you for that. And, and for yep. this, here's the work I've done. I'm going to help you along the way. And if you can just help me figure out exactly what I need, what I need from these deals that I have in target, then we can have a good relationship. Together. Yeah. But in here, and here's where, here's the, the key to that is by showing them your written stuff Okay. to really show them. And there's something about uh, when you talk to a someone or, or you've got something, tr you're trying to work on something and they say, Hey, I, you know, I want to do this and I, this is my plan. And you say, Hey, can you send that to me in an email or, or in a written form? They say, Oh, I haven't done that yet. Gotcha. Immediately takes, you know, from a 10 to like a one. That's right. Cause if you're not disciplined enough, if you're not motivated enough or determined enough to take what you have in your mind and put it on paper, statistically, you'll never get the deal done. Cause what does a bank require before they give you financing? Honestly, experience, uh, personal, personal financial statement, you know, track record, uh, who are you going to work with on your team, your guarantor, your loan sponsor, yeah. um, your business plan, your, your LLC. They want all this stuff that's in writing. They won't expend, and you might not know how to do all of that, but there's people out there who do. There's programs that do, you know, Google it, YouTube it. If you can't, you know, pay a coach or a consultant or mentor to help you or buy a course, there's enough free stuff out there that you can put it all together, but that takes time. It takes diligence. And that's if you want to reach those brokers, if you want to reach, um, you know, uh, sellers, if you want to help get people to help you, you got to show that you're serious. Yeah, there's almost no reason for you today to say, you know, I just don't know how to do this and I, I'm not sure how to find out because 
you can find anything and everything in there, you know, between YouTube, yeah. Big, Bigger Pockets, any other these courses and sites out there. Someone's doing it in a very proficient way, and you can basically just watch their deals. And yeah. your point about just labeling specifically what you want, you know, when I'm having an introduction with a broker, you know, I'll get on the phone with them, talk to them about specifically what we want, go over what we're looking for, and, and how we both basically help each other. But then I'm going to follow up in an email just to make it clear because you can state all these things. They could be driving, you know, they could be, you know, jogging, who knows what they're doing. But on that point, get it to an email, get in front of them so they have it there. So, and it even helps, you know, every couple of weeks you don't have to badger them on a phone call you just follow up and just say hey, i'm just following up here with my criteria what i'm looking for I just want to see if anything's uh, yes. coming to your um arena that may be a fit and we've had a right. lot that's been down a pipeline from that for sure and so you're just building that relationship you're getting in front of them you're literally branding yourself hey keep me in mind if you find this yeah. you know this this also applies to to people who have been in the business and they've done 50 deals or 500 it, the same principles apply. You have to tell, tell people specifically. You have to communicate with them what you're doing, what you're looking for, and how you're going to do it. Yeah. You know, I still, I still have my, my contacts, and I'm constantly reaching out to them saying, hey, if this comes across your desk, please keep me out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. You know, the brokers work on commission. They make no money unless something closes. So for them to make money, a deal has to close. Who are they going to go with? They're going to go with the person who they believe is the most serious about it and has the ability to close. That's good. And, and of them, who's in front of them, of, you know, not out of sight, not out of mind. Because ideally, you know, you may have five people that can close and two are always on top of them and three they never hear from. So those two yeah. that are always in front of them are the ones that are going to get the call first, no matter what level you're at. Yeah. And if you have two investors who have the same portfolio, have the same abilities, have the same financials, and one of them is nice and cordial and respectful, and the other one is always like, why haven't you found me something? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you working for me? Which one is the broker going to choose most likely? Yeah, easy choice. Easy choice. Whoever easy choice. causes you less stress in your life is going to be the direction you're going to go. So that's a great point, right? Yeah. Um, so let's transition a little bit about so the deals actually themselves. So you find a deal, right? And we're coming on, you know, we just closed a deal with zero financials. How do you treat those deals? Because there, there can be a lot of value found in, in very distressed deals, whether it be on the property side or the management side, but they take a lot of work and, and sometimes you have to build the deal back in from everything that the seller hasn't done to be able to get it across to the finish line. Yeah. Any suggestions? Yeah. So uh, very carefully, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, that, that is, I mean, if you want to make silly, stupid money in real estate, um, you know, the higher the risk, the higher the reward, the higher the risk, the, the higher the loss, right? But if you want to, to really get in and have some serious equity, some serious cash flow out of a property, it is buying a distressed property. Yeah. But you have to um, be conservative in your numbers and you have to back into it. Because if you don't have the financials, and most of the time, even if you do get the financials, most of them aren't accurate. I mean, I've bought deals before where people said, oh, we're collecting $23,000 a month. And that's what they filed on their tax returns mm -hmm. and closed on it. And they were collecting 5,000 a month. 
the rest of the people were just living there and the person had, you know, fudged on their, their rent roll and fudged on their taxes so they could get more out of the property. Gotcha. So then I switched to, at least on the financial side of requiring bank statements to look at what they were actually depositing into their account. But then on the, on the property side, this is the way I figure my deals. If I'm going in and, and I'll use an example, a 66 unit that I bought a couple of years ago, a lady's husband had passed away. Uh, she had it on and off the market for five years. There were no financials. So, you know, I called the power company, Duke Energy, to see how many meters, how many units had power to them. That's great. Pretty good indicator to see who's there. Well, there's about 80% of the units had power onto them. Um, but I figured, you know, if 80% were there in paying, they wouldn't be in a financial, you know, problem because they didn't owe anything on the property. There was no debt on it. Gotcha. Um, you know, then I started working back, you know, what are the costs associated with property taxes, insurance, uh, dumpster, you know, how many dumpsters, they only had one dumpster, but a property that size needed three. So I went in and started building the expense report because they didn't have any. Sure. What's maintenance going to cost? What's management's going to cost? And literally just, you know, built that. And then what, you know, the renovation's going to cost? Well, then I had to assume, you know, what percentage is paying? And I went way low, 20% of the people who were there, only 20% were paying. So then I ran my numbers of, well, how much am I going to need a month to cover that shortfall? And how many months am I going to need it? Because that's money that's going to have to be accounted for, raised, you know, gotten a loan or an investor, because that's hard money that you're putting in that you're not getting back out. Yeah. So then you start, you know, running down through, you know, what's, what's the cap rate in the area? What are complexes selling for? What's the cost going to be to renovate? What's your holding cost? How long are you going to have to hold it before it breaks even? Um, what are, you know, any fees, any services, uh, time that you're going to have to put into? So you literally have to go in and build everything backwards. So then what I say to people, okay, say the complex for, for easy math here is a million dollar complex upon completion. So once it has two years of seasons, financials, and it's at the 8% cap rate, it's going to be worth a million. Well, how much is it going to cost to renovate? How much is it going to cost to have carrying cost? How much, you know, all of that. So then you have to say, let's say it's $300,000 to do that. Well, now you've got a complex that's worth $700,000. What's the cost of broker fees when you buy it? Are you having to pay or is the seller paying? Um, let's assume it's a, you know, $50,000. So, you know, now you're at a $650,000 complex. So you've backed into your renovations, you've backed into your holding costs, you've backed into any, you know, back taxes, you know, anything that might be owed. So let's say we're at 600,000. Well, how much equity do you want in the deal? And that's a number you're going to have to determine. Do you want 50,000, a hundred thousand, 200,000? Let's say a hundred thousand. So now you're at, the most you can pay for that complex is $500,000 if you want to get to that million dollar number. Now here's the warning in that. Um, and this is the one that, that you have to be really careful of. If you build a hundred thousand dollar profit into your deal and you've missed your renovation budget or you've risk, you know, missed your carrying cost, 
where is that coming from? Your profit. Coming from your profit. So if you don't do your numbers right, I always tell people in renovation, if you think it's $100,000 or $500,000, add 30%. If you think your carrying costs are going to be you know, six months, double it. Build yourself a cushion in there because what I've seen this happen time and time again. It happened to me once. We look at this deal, we look at the number sheet, and we go, wow, there's a lot of money to be made there and we forget to be really diligent in our numbers and then something comes along that we've missed. There's, you know, rotten flooring in the bathroom. There's electrical issues. There's aluminum wiring and we didn't really check on that. Things like that can quickly eat up, not only eat up all your profit, but make you go try to, you know, find more money to actually complete the deal. So how, do you safeguard yourself? You said add on 30%, but in terms of just the items that you need to be checking out there, do you have any suggestions to say like, you know, people out there, you have two, two parts, right? Someone may just say, Oh, this is a huge opportunity that I can find all these. And the other person is scared clueless because they don't want to be stuck carrying a bill because they don't know what to do. So I'm scared clueless. I don't want to take another step because I don't know how I'm not going to miss something. How do I not miss something? Yeah. So you got to, one of two things, become educated on that process, you know, find their free resources, find a course, you know, and I know I have, have a course called how to find finance, fix and flip apartments, but find something like that. That's either free or some course, a due diligence guide, how to do these deals and dig in. This other option is to hire someone to do it for you or to help you do it. A coach, a mentor, you know, someone that can come in alongside you to help you do this. Because if you just try to, if you've never done a deal or if you've only done one or two and you go in and try to do it, you'll make the mistakes that I made. You know, I always laugh at people, you know, before we started, I was like, you know, do you know who owns fire hydrants? And everybody I've ever asked, which is what I thought, the city or the town or the municipality, some government entity, right? Do you know that fire hydrants can be owned by the property owner? Which means if they're owned by the property owner, who's financially responsible for them? The property owner. The property owner. Well, it's, you know, it's five to $8,000 to replace a fire hydrant. Plus if you have, you know, any piping from the, from the street can be more. So there's a lot of things that, and I don't say this to scare people, but I, I say it to make sure they understand it's not just about the roof and the windows in the parking lot. It's about things that you can't see pipes underneath the building, electrical issues, um, fire hydrants and things that you really need to make sure you have a checklist. Hey, I'm going to check everything that applies. Is the property zoned right? I've bought a deal before where I was told by three different professionals that it was grandfathered in only to close and find out that the grandfathering had been broken 10 years earlier when they split a piece of property off. One five minute phone call, Jason would have saved me $150,000. You know what that call was to the zoning department? Hey, here's the pin number. Here's the address. Can you give me a, a letter on, uh, on your letterhead and sign saying that this property is zoned for this use? Yep. I love that. 
actually just saved us on a deal uh, before we, we were told it was a buildable lot. He called to the zoning department to figure out it was a non-conforming lot. It would incur variances and everything else if we want to go forward and use the lot. Great area, but the work and timeline and just the extra holding costs, carrying costs, and, and all the development costs would have just well exceeded the work and time of the project. Right. Just see, call. in our minds, what happens right there is, is that's, that's not, you know, sexy that's not you know instagrammable that's not social media type stuff where you take a picture so a lot of times people are like well that's not worth doing but that's really the nuts and bolts of this system this is not about how can you make a million dollars this is how about how can you not lose a million dollars great point and if you'll take that mindset of how am i not going to lose money is by checking off everything that you need to do and when you can start doing that then you make the money. Yeah. I love that. All right. Cause ideally you're right. It's not the big flashy things. That's what everybody puts up. But ideally these are the things that sync deals and with everybody out there showing you, know, it, it just looks like, Oh, you just jump in, you buy an apartment building and it's all, you know, it's all gravy. People are just sending you rent every month and everybody's happy. Super. That's wonderful. <laughs> However, all the steps in the chain to get you there, that's where the money's made. That's where you can find all the advantage to the property. That's where you can find everything yeah. else. You, you know, it's a cliche saying that people say, but it's true. You don't make money when you sell the property. You make money when you buy the property. Mm -hmm. And it, it, that is really the, tr in, a, in a deal, you know, class A might be a little different, but if you're in that B minus, C plus C, C minus, that is really true. It's, you know, I've bought properties before and I mean, I've learned, I've had some great successes, but I had some epic failures of things that I just, over, you know, I had people run cameras down sewer lines and be like, oh, everything's great and close on the property. And two hours after closing, people calling in, it was a 48 unit complex, 24 down and 24 up. And, you know, people calling, oh, there's raw sewage in my toilet, in my bathtub. And I was like, what's going on here? I mean, I had that checked. So, you know what I do now to check on, on issues like that? You can hire a plumber if you want. And that little camera might not see anything. So I was like, how can I, how can I figure out a way to know this information? Cause I'd go to tenants and say, Hey, is there any issues here? Oh no, there's no issues. And after I close, you know, that, that tenant would call and say, Oh, I have an issue. Well, why didn't you tell me? And they're like, Oh, well the landlord told me they would evict me if I told you of the problems. Wow. So I go and pull two years worth of housing complaints. I love it. And I sit down. And sometimes, sometimes they'll give them to you for free. Sometimes you have to pay for them. But I mean, if you're getting ready to buy a million dollar complex and they want to charge you $50 for the copying of these, that's $50 well spent. You can take you a highlighter. What's that? Where do you get them? Um, from the, um, uh, the, it depends on what they call them. They're normally like um, called business, uh, community and business development or housing authority. Um, some name like that. So if you just call the municipality or the town or Google, like how do you file a housing complaint? You'll find the entity in your location. And what you will find in that information is it's a gold mine. You can see if there's electrical issues in the complex, you can see if there's a plumbing issue. If you look at two years worth and you know, raw sewage and bathtub, raw sewage and toilet, um, uh, you know, electricity on half of my side of my apartment doesn't work. I mean, you know, roof is leaking. You know, you can find all kinds of valuable information that the owner's not going to tell you, the manager's not going to tell you. 
if you're not standing there when it happens, you might not know it. But see, here's the, here's the issue with most people in that. That takes time. That, you know, it's not, um, and it's not something that, again, like saying, you know, it's not something you're going to put on Instagram or, you know, that, but that's where you make your money. It's really where you avoid losing your money. Well, this has been enlightening and I guarantee someone listening today is going to send you a thank you card because you probably just saved them tens of thousands of dollars in, I mean, multiple different ways, whether it just be the, the deferred maintenance side or just the zoning side. There's so many things you can do to check the boxes here very simply just by putting in the work. And yeah. especially if you're raising money from others, it's, it's your, it's your, 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 your designation and your, your need and your have to, is you need to do this because you're now responsible for bringing on other funds of other people to be able to make sure that you're offering the best investment you can. And sure. Can things get missed? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a place where, where a, a big amount of people are living Things can get missed. It can happen, but do everything you can to be ahead of it just so you know what you're buying. You know, and here, here's the, the, the honest truth about this. I mean, we've, we've talked about this, but we've only really scratched the surface of all the things you need to do. You know, you, you, you do these types of deals. There's, I mean, a laundry list full of things that you need to do. Yeah. And here's what I tell people. It's not the big things that get you in a park because you can see those you can see if the roof needs to be replaced mm -hmm. you can see if the windows need to be replaced it's the little things is the flooring underneath the toilet rotten yeah. is the cabinets you know there's all kinds of little things that as you do this you learn them and you can either learn them before or learn them after but one way or the other you're going to have to learn them and if you can learn them before you can avoid a ton of misery and headaches and loss of money. Yeah, it's a couple of things that come to mind, you know, insurance claims, talking to the police department, flood zone, just all those little points right there that, that you may just miss over and then realize you're taking on a property and you have a really difficult time getting insurance because there was some catastrophic event two, three, four years ago that targeted down and they only gave you one year of loss runs. You know? Yeah. So, yep. Yeah. Nathan, this has been incredible. Always enlightening. Really appreciate your time. Uh, listeners want to hear more about you, your program. Where, where do they find you? They can go to uh, Nathan Tabor, and that's T-A-B as in boy, O-R, dot com. And there's a tab there that says real estate. I have a, a free ebook they can download. It's called the How to Find, Finance, Fix, and Flip Apartments. Um, no strings attached on any credit card or any of that. But it's just free. It's a good, solid um, guide to really know how to do things and what to look for. You know, if you're looking for that program, that, you know, hey, if I download this book, you're going to make me a millionaire, don't download it. If you're looking for, you know, materials that really talk about how things are actually done, yep. then that's something you need to download. And how not to lose a million dollars. And how not to lose a million dollars. Another important topic that you can definitely get from it. Well, Nathan, this is incredible. I, I always love talking with you because I, I learn a ton. The listeners have learned a ton. Definitely super helpful. Look forward to having you back for the next run here. Absolutely. Appreciate you. Thanks for all that you do. And, um, Hey, enjoy that wife and those little kids. Cause it won't be long before they're, uh, I got a 14 year old daughter. It won't be long before they're wow. big kids every day, man. Blessed every day. Right. So, Nathan, thanks so much. This is Jason. Investing foundation podcast. Super grateful to have Nathan Tabor on the podcast. Happy Monday. Go out there, do some damage. Listen to what Nathan said. It's going to save you a ton of money and a ton of headaches down the road. Happy Monday. Bye now.
Thanks for tuning into the REI Foundation Podcast. Check back next time for more awesome tips and strategies to launch your new you in real estate.